gods of the theater smile on us you who sit up there stern in judgment smile on us you who look down on actors and who doesn't bless this yearly festival and smile on us we offer you hello there theater people welcome to episode 15 of thespis in the green room it's melanie here sans bruce i'm flying solo today but not for long. I have an interview to share with you. I recently had a chat with my friend Velvet Eau Claire, a burlesque performer and producer based in Orlando. She's going to give us an inside look at the world of burlesque and what it's like to create in this often misunderstood art form. So without further ado, here's Velvet Eau Claire. Time to introduce today's guest. Joining us today is a performer, producer, and educator with over a decade of experience. She has trained and performed with Burlesque Moulin in Paris, launched the podcast Burlesque Strip Down, is producer of Head Cannon at Woodshed in Orlando, and performed in numerous shows around the world. Velvet, welcome to the green room. Thank you for joining us. Ah, thank you for having me. It's awesome to be here. So I'm really excited to talk to you about your journey through the world of burlesque, but Let's start with what exactly is burlesque? Oh, goodness. How long you got? <laughs> it is. It's one of those things that there's a reason that I actually ask that same question to my performers on a podcast that's for burlesque performers. So because we all have different answers and I'm always really interested to hear what other people say. I mean, we can go at its root, right? The word burlesque, it actually comes from Italian, meaning mockery or jokes, And so back in the day, it was more synonymous with kind of cabaret, vaudeville style things. It wasn't really about the striptease. The striptease was kind of added in a little bit later. Well, not even a little bit later. It was maybe a a component of that initial bit, but it was just one part of it. it. What I view as burlesque is things that are subversive, right? Whether they're subversive because they're comedic or because they're a little tantalizing and a little bit just a little something that we don't see every day. So what you see typically with burlesque right now is acts, right? Like little numbers, just like you would see a drag number, only it's a little bit different. So typically there's music and dancing, some better than others. <laughs> I am per- my, myself am not a dancer. I am more of a character performer. Um, and then usually there is some form of striptease or um, kind of tantalizing dancing, something like that. But it doesn't always have to be overtly sexual. In fact, very often it's not. And it's just something, it's an artistic form of expression. One of my girls on my, on my podcast said one time it was something that evokes emotion in the audience, whatever that emotion is. So I know that's kind of an ambiguous answer, but the truth is there isn't really a great, like one sentence answer for you. Sure. It's complex. It is. Yeah. It's got a very rich history though. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I am not, I'll preface this by saying I am not a scholar of it. I'm still, you know, still always learning. But I mean, it goes back centuries. And then some of the more modern movements, what we think of as burlesque today started in the UK, and then was brought over into the Americas. Um, I think I want to say the late 1800s. I'm not great with dates, but somewhere around that time. And then we got this. So so that kind of stuff was things like Gypsy Rose Lee and Josephine Baker and stuff like that, that kind of... I don't even know. Words are hard to describe it, right? But there were some can-can styles. There were, you know, some things like that. And then in the 90s is when you got the resurgence, especially here in America, starting in New York, of what we call neo-burlesque. And neo-burlesque, I believe in 94, was one of the first troops in in New York that started that. And that was when we just kind of got this resurgence of empowerment and this kind of explosion of what it actually meant to be a burlesque performer, because it can pretty much mean whatever you want it to mean now. And that started, oh God, that was 25 years ago now, was it? <laughs> Goodness, it is crazy how fast time flies. But. And do you find there are a lot of misconceptions about it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, some are, you know, frustrating and some are just wrong. And some are just what people have been exposed to. So, First of all, anything that includes any sort of striptease or even partial nudity to some people can automatically mean overtly sexual. And as I mentioned, sometimes it's sexual, but oftentimes it's not. And even when it is, it's usually not with the intention of doing anything sexual. It's usually with the intention of, again, pulling out some emotion or some uh, subversion from the audience, getting you to think about something differently, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, a lot of times it's not even sexual at all. You know, a lot of them are just funny. We have all these different like sub um, sub categories of burlesque. There's nerdlesque, which is hilarious. I'm a huge <laughs> nerd. And some of the stuff people come up with is amazing. There's like gorelesque and horrorlesque. There's boylesque. There's all sorts of different ways about it. So so that's one of the misconceptions. Another one came from the fabulously talented ladies, but very frustrating for those of us in the field, Cher and Christina Aguilera and mm-hmm. their movie Burlesque, Yes, which while lovely and they are super talented, not what burlesque is. That is just them singing and dancing fun. They're very, it's great, but it's not what I would call burlesque at all. Right. And then it just kind of depends on what community you have and what like in your local community and what you've been exposed to I had a friend of mine one time that was you know kind of taken aback when I mentioned maybe doing burlesque for her uh her it was for her sister's bachelorette party because she said oh no no but my sister's not a lesbian and I said well that's no (laughs) that's not you it's not about that right it's about celebrating femininity or masculinity or gender neutrality about whatever it is about celebrating that and it's not it's it has a very different vibe from something like a strip club, right? Right. It does, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. And how did you come to discover burlesque and then get into the producing and performing of it? Yeah, well, I was actually, I was living overseas. I'm a bit of a traveler as well, and I teach English as a foreign language. And I had met my partner overseas and went to live over there. And and my partner was French, so they had a lot of friends over there. And we're gone and doing things. And I was kind of trailing behind like a little puppy dog. And I didn't love that. I wanted something of my own. And it was really serendipitous. I was on meetup.com 
looking through the different, you know, there's a million different conversation and expat meetups. And then I found Burlesque Moulin, which at the time, um, they've sadly disbanded now. And I'm so sad. We're all still good friends, but the actual troupe has disbanded. But at the time, they were the only bilingual uh, English and French burlesque troupe in in Paris, or maybe even in France. I'm not sure about that. But And on their message boards, which let's be honest, who even checks the message boards on Meetup ever? And I just happened to that day. And they happened to have posted recently that they needed some help with social media in exchange for free classes. And I was like, oh, okay. So I got in touch and it really just blossomed from there. And they are this core group. There were about five of us in the beginning and we had other people coming in through, but still some of my greatest friends and wonderful humans. And I learned so much, started performing over there. Um, It kind of fluctuated as far as how much I perform. I'm not, I really like the production side of it. So I don't perform quite as much anymore. And even when I was performing more often, not as often as some other people, some other performers who do two shows a week, practically, or, you know, five or six a month or whatever that is, I would do one every couple months. Um, and then when I moved back to Orlando, which is where I'm based now, I there is a very healthy burlesque scene here. And I just, unfortunately, I didn't feel, I still haven't felt that I really clicked with any of the troops. They do wonderful work and it just hasn't been clicking for me. So that's kind of when I was just like, you know what, I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> so I started producing there and just kind of have been making it up as I go along, which is, I guess, how most of us do it. <laughs> cool. How has your experience with burlesque in Europe differed from your experience in the U.S.? Hmm, that's a really good question. Um, it's obviously, I'll, I'll preface all of this by saying it's it's hard to talk about the scenes as a whole, right? Because every community is different. Um, so I, I went from being in, in Paris, which is obviously a, hu- a large metropolitan city, very close to London. And there's a, obviously a huge thriving burlesque scene in all of England. And then I came to Orlando, which is a great place and is a metropolitan area, but it is smaller and very different. But I wouldn't say that I can translate my experience here in Orlando to what people say in New York or Chicago or even Atlanta experience, because those are obviously larger. But that being said, um, when I look at Paris versus Orlando, it's a it's a tough, tough one to delineate, because I was going to say that Orlando is very much. I want to say clicky, but without the negative connotation of that. So very, you know, the, the, the groups, these troops work together and um, it's kind of can be tough to break in. The Orlando community is very closely tied in with the drag community. So there tends to be a focus on having your you know drag mom, so to speak, or your burlesque mom who kind of teaches you the ways of drag or of burlesque and kind of ushers you into it. And I, I didn't feel that as much in Paris. While there certainly were still troops, I felt like it was a much more fluid group of people who kind of worked as individuals and came together for shows and then dispersed. And then you can't see it, but I'm doing very like fluid motions with my hands. <laughs> so just kind of coming in and out of shows together. Whereas again, here in, in Orlando, it's felt different. As far as like the styles as a whole, um, I do feel that Europe or at least Paris, at least Paris is a little bit more, they really enjoy the classic burlesque style. So that would be things like if you can picture Dita Von Tees, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah. she does very classic showgirl style things, right? Gorgeous. I saw her um her con- in concert twice and she is just like amazing. So they love that in Paris. <laughs> they really love those mm. classic styles. And here there is definitely more of a uh, focus on neo-burlesque and the silliness and coming up with new things. I think that's kind of an American attitude, right? Always reinventing mm-hmm. things and changing it. Sure. But again, that's not to say that those things don't exist in the opposite places because they absolutely do. One of the other things I've really noticed um, that's different, and this is a rabbit hole that we probably don't want to go down, but I will I will throw it out there just as something that people can research more if they're interested but the idea of things like cultural appropriation and what's appropriate for, um, for example, white performers to be doing compared to performers of color and things like that. I've had many conversations with my friends here and overseas that are very interesting because I feel, I don't want to get in trouble here, but I feel that in France, they tend not to have the same experience of it and they don't see the harm as much. And again, that's speaking with the the culture as a whole, not necessarily individual performers. I acknowledge there are French performers who do see, who do understand. So I don't, again, I don't want to go too far down that, (laughs) but that is definitely something I've noticed. There's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of conversation here in the States about appropriation, about, you know, creating a safe space, all of these things that have come up so often in our greater cultural discourse And they definitely come up in the burlesque sphere as well. And when I talked with some of my French performer friends about it when I was there earlier this year, they were just like, what are you talking about? That's not an issue. And I was like, well, for us it is. (laughs) So that's one Mm, of the differences. Interesting. Mm. And kind of on that almost kind of controversial line of questioning, how does it fit in with the whole Me Too and Time's Up movements and these kind of new social attitudes about sexual harassment and assault? Oh, such a good question because it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to talk about anything, especially because we are such a sexuality. I wouldn't even say sex focused, but you know, you, you know what I'm trying to say. Like there, there is there is such an element of sexuality to burlesque, right? Mm. Not every number necessarily, but just kind of in general, it has that undercurrent, and so it can be tough to navigate. It definitely has affected the industry. We have a lot more conversations I'm seeing in the groups that I'm in on Facebook about, um, you know, certain producers not to work with perhaps or problematic things that people have said or done. And so just like with any industry, I'm, I love that we're having these conversations now that things are kind of getting out into the open, whereas before they might have gotten, you know, pushed under the rug a little bit just like in a, in a theater community or in the film community or in the, you know, accounting community, I don't know, (laughs) all of these communities, you know, we're actually talking about these things, which is really one of the first steps. It's not fixing the problem, but at least people are feeling more comfortable expressing their truths. Burlesque is a unique industry because even in the past, even pre Me Too and all of that in the nineties, many of the shows have been female-led, female-produced. Not all. There still is kind of that potential for, um, you know, kind of the man who wants to produce a burlesque show, you know. (laughs) Um, And again, I'm, by the way, I I will say I'm using gendered language here, and I fully acknowledge that that not everyone fits into this binary. Um, And they tend to 
it's just the language I'm using at this moment. Um, but sure. I do yeah. certainly acknowledge that there is there is more to it than just that, just the men and women. Um, but all that said, it, it always has been kind of this female-driven movement, or at least since neo-burlesque started here in the States. So we have had that going for us. And that doesn't necessarily fix everything because women or non-binary folks can also perpetuate issues and can also be problematic as well. And we still have a lot of male uh, producers and problematic individuals. This is a very roundabout way of saying, I don't really know. <laughs> it's just, it's a tough, tough topic, right? But it mm. definitely has impacted our industry just as anything else has. And we do have, I have seen more shows in the last few years where they've had more um, like modesty rules in the dressing room or, or a default to that. I have seen some shifts. I have seen some shifts happening. So, I mean, you think about it, right? Like for a burlesque show, most of us are fairly comfortable with our bodies. That's one of the reasons we perform like this, or we're working on becoming more comfortable with our bodies. And so there has been a tendency for people to just kind of walk around dressing rooms half naked or, you know, half in costume or things like that. And most of the time that's perfectly fine. But the issue with that is you don't always know what other people's boundaries are. And just because I was interviewing someone recently that was saying that they really enjoy performing and, you know, wearing whatever their costume entails on stage. But when they're off stage, they're not very comfortable with nudity because it's off stage, you know, and that's, that's different for them. And so backstage always made them super uncomfortable. And now we're seeing a little more and more, not in, you know, it hasn't completely taken over, but we're seeing more and more people that are making, you know, private dressing room areas. Obviously we, we perform in a lot of bars, so it's hard to get a dressing room at all, much less a private one, but at least maybe some curtained off areas or um, making it clear to performers that if they need something, the producer will work with them to uh, make that more comfortable. And that even if we do just have a shared area, consider your fellow performers and don't walk around, you know, <laughs> naked or, um, or assume that everyone's okay with touch or all of these things. So there's been a lot more conversations about it. I'm seeing more notes up in dressing rooms and conversations happening prior to shows and things like that. So interesting. I think you, you touched a little bit on being comfortable in your body. Can you talk a little bit about how body image and, and body relationship may be affected by burlesque? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> One of my favorite things about burlesque is that as a whole, it is so body positive and it's just about celebrating often feminine bodies, but the good burlesque, <laughs> the ones that are inclusive and good, celebrate all bodies, no matter what shape, size, identification, quirks, all of that, no matter what a body looks like we celebrate it and it has been so life-changing for me personally to go through and become more comfortable with my body um on a personal note like right now um i am heavier than i've ever been and i'm also the most confident that i've ever been right mm. i i it's not that i don't care and this is an interesting concept too that I've brought up before on my show, which is this difference between body 
positivity and body like neutrality, right? Loving your body versus at least accepting your body. Mm. You don't always have to love it, right? There are parts of my body I really don't love. And I'm like, mm, okay, I should probably, I could probably stand to lay off the donuts, right? Okay, that's, that's an accurate statement. But I still accept my body for what it is, right? And I, and I do love it for what it can do for me and everything. So finding that as opposed to hating one's body, right? Noticing that there, there are things about my body that I might change and I still appreciate it for what it does for me. So that's kind of a side tangent, but that's one of the things I've learned from burlesque. And I think that's one of the things that burlesque can bring to people is this celebration of all sorts of different bodies. And I, I tell you, over the last the last year or so, I've actually got an opportunity to perform more often for non-burlesque audiences. So, so for example, I will end a show, uh, like a variety show at a local improv theater, right? <laughs> they know what's coming. So I tell them ahead of time, don't worry. But like, so they have this variety show with like stand-up comedy and improv and all this stuff. And I'll go in because I try to be real funny. Um, sometimes I succeed, sometimes I don't. But <laughs> And I come in and I end the show. And every single time, at least one or two or three people, usually women, but could be anybody, come up to me afterwards and look me straight in the eye and give me this look that says, and sometimes they even verbalize it, thank you for doing that. Because I am not stick thin. I have curves. And again, while I don't love them all the time, I accept them and I'm not afraid to show people, show them to people. And seeing that in people's faces has been life changing for me, almost even more so than my own body acceptance, knowing that I am helping people learn that their bodies are okay and they don't have to be ashamed and cover them up with frumpy clothes or giants. I mean, I love a giant sweatshirt just as much as anybody else. But if you feel like showing it off, it is okay. A roll is not the end of the world. You know, a thigh gap is not something we all would need to have. <laughs> so for me, that is what is so amazing about the burlesque community. You get, again, to bring back to Dita Von Teese's show, obviously Dita is, is very thin and has that kind of traditional hourglass figure. But she's on tour with Dirty Martini, who is an awesome performer. If you don't know Dirty Martini, you should check her out because on YouTube she has she's so funny and flirty and she is just extremely those two, Dita and and Dirty are two of the top of the top in the burlesque world. And Dirty is not a small lady and she embraces it and she loves it. And then they've got several other performers with them, always a variety. And so you see this show put together of all sorts and, and, and they work well together and they love each other. And it's not one ideal that's good. We don't want to shame the thin people either. We want everybody to love everything. And it just it makes me happy. It really does. Oh, I love that. That's healthy. <laughs> that sounds healthy. <laughs> I think so. It feels healthy. And and that's not to say, I, I don't want to paint this like perfect picture of the burlesque community because we have lots of issues. It does tend to be very whitewashed. It isn't always body positive. There are still producers who want, you know, what they think will bring in the most people. But the truth is like, I know that the media tells us we all want stick figures, but I tell you, there are a lot of people out there who prefer anything, right? Who prefer various things. I have never had an issue filling up a show <laughs> when I have performers <laughs> of different sizes. But yeah, so we definitely still have issues there. It's not a perfect community. 
Um, and and like I like I said before, every city's community is different as well, so it it, it can vary a lot. But the overall, the underlying kind of message, the overall vibe of burlesque is one of body positivity, of loving yourself, of embracing femininity, masculinity, non-binariness, whatever it is that you are putting out there, embracing that and being able to be sexual or be, I, I interviewed someone who was asexual and a burlesque performer. That was fascinating to hear how that intersection kind of happened for them. Just all the things. I just love everybody. And I just, it's just great. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Let's circle back around to the actual show that you do. Can you tell us a little bit about what your process is for putting an act together? Ooh, this is a good question. It's actually um, one that I have talked to a lot of performers about myself because everybody's different. And that's what's kind of fun about burlesque is that it's a very individualized art form. Um, I personally usually start with a concept because, as I mentioned before, I am more of a character performer. Um, as opposed to a dancer. I'm working on choreography, but man, it's hard. My body doesn't always move the way I want it to. <laughs> so um, so I usually start with some sort of character um, or a concept. And then I, you know, the music kind of usually comes next or it comes concurrently. I hear a song and I'm like, oh, I could use that for this particular character. And then I'll go into um, costuming and choreography and it all kind of usually, I will admit I am a percolator. So I will sit on an act idea forever. And it's usually only getting booked for a show for that act that actually makes me put my butt in here and actually put the act together. Um, so once, you know, once I have that kind of external deadline, then I'll be like, okay, turns out I need to do this. And, you know, finding the costume pieces, I'm learning to be more crafty. I am not a particularly crafty person. So I'm learning to, I have a sewing machine now. Look at me all domestic. It's great. Um, so I'm learning to kind of put together my own costume pieces as opposed to just buying things and doing all that. But I'm also not a very sparkly, um, you know, I, I tend to have a lot of blacks and, and silliness and, and things like that. And then for me, choreography usually comes last, not because I want it to, just because I tend to put it off <laughs> because it's tough. It's actually been a struggle. If, I, if I'm going to get completely honest, it's been a struggle for me because sometimes when I watch videos of my performances, I feel that I just kind of walk around and make faces and then take off clothes and make more faces. But at the same time, part of me is like, well, I'm just going to embrace that because that's the kind of performer I am. So again, it's, I mean, just, uh, you know, complete transparency. It's, it's been a struggle for me. Um, I have several performer friends who are super talented dancers. Like they just have these moves and it's amazing. And so I'm working to kind of incorporate more of that. But as I mentioned before, I've been more on the producing side lately as opposed to the performance. And when I have done performances recently, they've been actually duo numbers. Um, oh, and then I did one, one. <laughs> recently solo number that I was actually really proud of, but it included actually technology. I had a clicker and, my, uh, and a monitor showing slides and everything. It was, <laughs> I was pretty proud of that one. Mm -hmm. But again, that was mostly just making faces at people. 
Well, you mentioned uh, the costumes and the props. And, and when I think of burlesque, I think of the feather fans and the boas. And I do think about uh, sequins and rhinestones and so forth. As you were saying, it doesn't necessarily have to look like that. But regardless of what style the props and costumes are, how do these elements contribute to the performance? And what's the process for deciding and on them and acquiring them? You, you talked about making them. But what else is involved with that process? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that's another really good question. There, there's a lot to it. And I think you're absolutely right. Think boas and feather fans, right? Those are two huge things. <laughs> Maybe some headdresses, lots of sparkles, lots of rhinestones. And they definitely, most of us performers do use some element of those as well. Again, the cool thing about burlesque is that it's all individualized. So you can make up whatever you want. And in fact, for me, that's actually one of the harder things because think about it, the limits actually kind of help with creativity sometimes because you're forced, you know what you're looking for and you're forced to work within those limits. But sometimes I find the limitlessness, limitlessness of burlesque is a challenge for me because I'm like, I could do all the things and then I want to do all the things. If anyone's familiar with the Enneagram, I am a seven to the sevenest power. I am <laughs> such a seven. But um I can do all the things and then I want to. So finding those limits. And that's one of the times where I find working with a troupe or with even just a, a casual group of performers can really be helpful because you can sit together, you can brainstorm. But for me, and I think for most performers, because our act creation starts with a concept, music, a character, things like that, that gives you at least a place to start with your costume. And then it's either trying things, putting them together, um, finding props that you might want to work with, or I, I do a lot of scrolling through pin, through Pinterest, for example, or Instagram to get inspiration for the ways things could work um, work together. You might also have an idea. You may also just say to yourself, I want to work with feather fans and then build your whole act around that. And that's perfectly wonderful as well. If if there are schools or if you're able to take classes, perhaps there's one that works with a particular prop. I took one here in Orlando that was um, based on, oh, uh, the name of them is, I'm, I'm blanking out right now, but they're basically like a feather um, stave. Like the hand thing is like the feathers, but then it's a big piece of fabric, um, you know, big, long piece of fabric that you can just kind of wave back and forth. And it gives this kind of wavy look and they're beautiful and they're short or they're long, or you can do all sorts of fun things. And so I took a class on that and that kind of brought me to put together an act with them. So it kind of depends. Um, there are some staples, you know, most of us have our sequined corsets and our, you know, rhinestone bras and things like that, that we kind of have as staples and can can interchange in or out. But again, we don't have costume designers. You know, we don't have even a director usually. Sometimes there are directors or artistic producers, but we typically don't have one of those telling us how it should look in the end or what kind of vibe we want to put off. So we you know, we fill all those roles. We fill choreographer, we fill music designer, we fill costume designer, we, we do the whole thing. And it, it's exhausting sometimes. But it all is also nice because we get our own control. And it can, and the other good thing too, is that it can morph and change over the years. I, the very first act I did was a, um, a number based on the evil queen from Once Upon a Time, specifically. The She's the Snow White evil queen, but on Once Upon a Time, she's Regina Mills, and I just love her so much. Oh, she's yeah. Amazing. <laughs> 
And I did that. I did that act, you know, several years ago now, years ago now. And I actually just did it a couple months ago again. And it has complete, I, it's the same music, but other than that, it's like totally changed. It's become something completely different, but that's what's cool about it is that it's not just like we have a run of three weeks of shows and then we're done forever. We can revisit things and we can make changes and change the costumes and add in feather fans or whatever it is that we want to do. So again, I'm not sure if that really answers your question because it is kind of an ambiguous thing. No, it it's does. It's so it does. open to really whatever you want to do. Sometimes I just go to Joanne Fabrics or one of the local, you know, we have a place called the Sewing, Sewing Studio or other places and I just wander around and look at fabrics and I look at little, you know, um, uh, fragment pieces and I look at things and try to just imagine what they could be, <laughs> which is new for me. I never used to do that. So it's a lot of fun. Oh, it sounds extremely creative. Yeah, it really is. I love it. And if somebody wants to learn a little bit more about burlesque, what resources would you recommend to them? Well, I mean, is it totally just self-promoting to say I have a show? <laughs> um, <laughs> we do. There, there are lots of good resources online. Um, so I started a podcast. I'm going to be honest. I haven't put up an episode in a while we've been on a hiatus mm -hmm. um, but there are like 60 some episodes in the backlog that give a really I think if I can humbly say a nice kind of overview of a lot of different performers and their processes as well as some tips for first performances and things like that but there are so many good um, resources as you start to search these things and delve in going to YouTube and just going down that rabbit hole instead of watching another episode of, you know, nailed it on, although I do love nailed it on, <laughs> on Netflix, but instead of doing that, maybe just spending 30, 45 minutes, just watching several YouTube videos and seeing what people are coming up with. Um, in a lot of communities, there are local either schools or at least teachers teaching really wonderful things. Most of them do some sort of 101 class uh, just to kind of get people used to what it might mean. Um, and, and any reputable one will be, just to put this out there for anyone who's worried about it, any reputable 101 class will not make you go further than you are comfortable, right? So any reputable class will not make you strip down to anything. They might ask you to bring a sweatshirt over your t-shirt and then you can strip off your sweatshirt like that. Like if you're uncomfortable, like that should be always in, always a priority for classes to not, we want to kind of nudge people. To, to try to go outside their comfort zone, but they should never make you go further than you're willing to. And that's true for shows too, right? I know some performers who don't take much off at all. One of my favorites also was a reverse strip where they actually put clothes on. That was a fun one. Yeah. But anyway, so there are usually, there's quite a few classes in, in most major cities, some smaller cities as well. New York, there is, of course, the School of Burlesque with uh, Joe Boobs. And she she does, she has this whole big school with, she brings in celebrity teachers all the time, and they're always doing things. But there are schools all over the country that are really great to learn from in person. But if you can't access one of those, again, lots of resources online for you to check out. Excellent. And what's your podcast? How can people find that? Yeah, well, my podcast is called Burlesque Stripped Down with Velvet Eau Claire. That's me. And uh, as I mentioned, I have been on a hiatus. I do have a couple episodes in the um, in the editing bay at the moment, so I should be coming back. But there's a backlog of like 65. So by the time you catch up on those, there might be new episodes coming out. Hey, <laughs> look at that. 
But you can find that there is burlesquestripdown.com, but we're also on iTunes and Spotify and all the other, you know, Google podcasts. I don't even remember where we're all at right now with all these different podcast players. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can probably find me or you can go straight to the website and listen from your web browser. Excellent. And you are currently based in Central Florida, but you, of course, travel for engagements. What kind of program services and shows do you offer? And, and how can producers or agents get in touch with you for gigs? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, my home base is either, I mean, you can, Burlesque Strip Down is my personal, um, or my podcast website. And then I also have velveteauclair.com, but you can kind of, either one of those you can reach me at. And I, yeah, I, I'm happy to travel. Um, I am happy to perform. I have some of my acts listed on my website, although that needs a, a rehaul because I have some different acts as well. And I, like I mentioned, I've been really into the producing side as well. We just started a show about a year ago here in Orlando that we do called Hashtag Headcanon, and it is a burlesque pole and fan fiction extravaganza. So I mentioned that nerdlesque earlier. I do a huge amount of nerdlesque, and it's great. So we mix up, um, basically, we have dramatically read fan fiction really horribly written, usually smutty, I'm not going to lie, fan fiction. And then there's burlesque and pole performers interpreting it behind us. And it is a hoot. It is so much fun. We just had a show the other night and it was a blast. And so I'm happy. I, right now we just produced that here, but that is one that I'm very much interested in taking around to different places. So if there's anyone interested in bringing us to you, we would love to chat about that. Um, again, myself as a solo performer or some of the wonderful other performers that I know. Um, I also do a bit of, of sexuality education. So I've been very personally very passionate about consent and shame reduction in our society, not just sexually, but in society in general. So I do a, a bit of public speaking on that, um, those issues as well. I'm working on more of a longer keynote. Maybe that's going to turn into a book about some of the dirty S words that we have, not the ones you normally think of, but some different ones. So I am kind of out there doing a lot of different things. And I also do a bit of regular theater, I guess we'd call it. So I'm also an actor and a director and do a bit of intimacy choreography as well. So lots of things. Um, again, you can reach me through those websites. Velvet at burlesquestripdown.com is where you can you can email. But again, that's all on the website too. You can find that there. Yeah. Fantastic. Great. And do you have any shows coming up? Well, like I said, we just we just knocked out this one. Um, so the next one will be for my birthday in the spring. Um, and that's I think we've got a date of March 30th, although that remains to be confirmed. But at the moment, um, I'm working on a theater show. I've actually been cast in A Doll's House. So for those of you who know that show, I've been cast in that here in Orlando. So I'm doing a little bit of um, that stuff. And then we're gearing up for our Orlando Fringe Festival here in, I guess it's not till May, but we're already in the swing of it because it's a huge festival. We have, I want to say it's the biggest one in the country. I think we might be second only to Edinburgh. Um, it's a fantastic festival. If you ever get a chance to come down, come check it out because we have so much fun over the two weeks. There's hundreds of shows. Last year, I saw 45 shows and oh, that wow. wasn't even cracking the surface. It was oh it's just amazing. So I love it. Anyway, Sounds so good. kind of gearing up for that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need to book my tickets for that. That sounds amazing. You should. It's a blast. <laughs> cool. Well, Velvet Eau Claire, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a fantastic insight into the world of burlesque. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. It's really been fun.
Yeah, yeah, and I I think it's a it's an area of mystery for a lot of people. So it's it's great to have you on and to talk about it all. Absolutely. Well, I am more than willing to um, answer any questions. Like I said, I recently I've really found that I enjoy explaining and exposing people to burlesque that aren't familiar with it because it is a really a much different than a lot of people think it is. It is. It really is. I've I've seen some burlesque shows before, and they are just they're just a lot of fun, is what they are. Yeah. They're just a lot of fun. Yeah. That, that was the thing. The other night, our show, and I, I get stressed out because I produce and I host it and ever, and all the things. Mm. But once the show got going, I was like, man, this is just a blast. I just yeah. enjoy it. Everybody in the audience is having so much fun. It's just fun. It's a good time. Good times all around. Very good. <laughs> well, thanks again for joining us, and we will be on the lookout for you. Sounds great. Thank you for having me. hope you found that conversation interesting. It's not a genre we often get to discuss, and I really found it fascinating. A big thanks to Velvet Eau Claire for taking the time to talk with me. Bruce will be back next week, but before I sign off, there are a couple of show listings to mention, so here we go. Another vote in another show In Philly, Boston, or Baltimore Now playing in the upstate of South Carolina this first weekend in January 2019. Cafe and Then Some in Greenville continues unhinged holidays Thursday and Friday and concludes its run on Saturday, January 5th. Alchemy Comedy Theater has a variety of improv and sketch shows to offer at the Coffee Underground in Greenville. Those will be various times. Check their website for the specifics. Then follow. Hello there, theater people. We hope you are enjoying spending time in the green room. Want to stay updated? Like and follow Thespis in the Green Room on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Thespis G. That's at sign Thespis G. T H E S P I S G. Want to support Thespis in the Green Room? If you like what you're hearing and want to encourage us to continue conversations in the Green Room, you can become a patron of the show. Visit our Patreon page. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Thespis G. And donate today. No amount is too small and every little bit helps. Patrons will receive special content and audio extras through our Patreon page. Check it out at patreon.com slash thespisg. Good night and thank you, whoever. We are grateful you found her a spot on the sound radio. We'll think of you every time.
Special thanks to Dick Stevens of Stevens Magic and Fun. He can be found on Facebook at Stevens Magic and Fun. Thespis would like to extend a big thank you to our fellow podcasters, Teddy and the Baseman, for their help and guidance. Listeners can find Teddy and the Baseman at teddyandthebaseman.podbean.com or through podcast players, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Thespis in the Green Room is a Courageous Crossings production. Music used in this podcast is licensed by ASCAP and BMI. What comes next? You've been free. That's it for me this week. So until next time, take care.